0: Safer safe? In- 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 C- sex, intercourse, condoms, sexually In- transmitted In- infections. infections, HIV, HIV. Health. HIV. Sex sexual health, health. treatment, prevention, SDI- sexual In- attraction, sexually sex- transmitted infections, Contraceptive. Sex- sexual health. Health. Sex- health, sexual health specialist. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. My name's Tom and you're listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we talk about all things related to sexual health. Today on the podcast, we're talking about a comorbidity screening that Sydney Sexual Health Centre runs for people living with HIV. To discuss the details, I'm joined by Dr Rick Farmer, our Clinical Services Manager, and Rebecca Horton, Nurse Unit Manager here at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. So, can you tell me about yourself and what led you to want to work in sexual health?
1: Okay, I'll, I'll start. So, it's Beck, the nun from Sydney Sexual Health. Thanks for having us on the podcast today. Um, I've been working as a nurse for around 15 years I think now and I started off in general practice and quite quickly moved to uh, undertake a postgraduate in sexual health. I was very interested in kind of public and population health but in particular um, sexual health because I realised I had uh, I guess a skill set where I could talk to people about certain um, aspects of their sex life and sexual health that Perhaps didn't come as naturally to other people, and I was able to kind of develop trust, and so I knew that I was interested in this field. So I did; I actually did my postgraduate before actually doing nursing, so it was a bit of a risk. Um, but then I got a job in the UK working in a um, sexual health, a large public sexual health service in London, and really from day one, I kind of knew that that was going to maintain. That I was going to maintain that as a specialty, and then over the years, I guess I've sort of progressed in specialist nurse roles and. Um, quite, you know, for a very quite a long amount of time I've been managing a group of nurses and that's become um I guess an equal amount of passion in my uh, career to focus on the advancement of nursing practice and upskilling nurses. So I'm very lucky to work in a specialty that I enjoy with patients that I enjoy working and with nurses and colleagues and multidisciplinary teams that I also enjoy. <laughs>
2: Uh, thanks, Tom. So, my name's Rick Varma. I'm a sexual health physician and uh, I'm a senior staff specialist uh, at the clinic at Sydney Sexual Centre. And I've uh, I gravitated into sexual health medicine um, really after doing a lot of general medicine um, throughout the UK and Australia and um, moved into infectious diseases. And uh, while I was working in infectious diseases in the UK and in London, I uh, had my first real experience in, uh, experience of managing patients living with HIV, and it was in an era where the new antiretrovirals were just really beginning to work effectively. So it was amazing to see patients who are really very sick medically become really well very quickly on on HIV treatment. So I gravitated towards that specialty, and uh, I've been working at Sydney Sexual Health for the last six years um, as a as a specialist and. Um, supervising registrars uh, who want to train in sexual health medicine, and also one of the managers in the
0: clinic. All right, fantastic. So you've both uh, developed a new comorbidity screening clinic for people living with HIV. Uh, so what are comorbidities? It's a bit of a strange term. Uh, what does it mean? So
2: uh, comorbidities uh, is something which isn't unique to, to HIV medicine. and it's something that affects uh, the general population. Um, we so it can affect people with rheumatoid disease or other um, chronic conditions like diabetes, for example. With our setting, we have um, in our cohorts, we have patients who uh, have clearly have HIV infection, but they have additional chronic inflammation. Uh, despite effective treatment, which can lead to other complications uh, which affect the general population. So things like diabetes, um, bone disease, cardiovascular disease, um, increases in weight. Um, These are the sorts of things that can happen to our patients, as well as cancer risks. There is There appears to be an increased risk of cancers in our patients. Um, and so these are the things that can affect our populations. And there's a growing need to screen patients for these, um, these conditions.
0: So how do we screen for the comorbidities within the clinic?
1: So one of the um, approaches that's quite I guess, universally adopted now in services that are really trying to focus on um, the effects of uh, living longer and ageing with HIV has been the development of a, a tool um, to screen for um I guess, certain categories that comorbidities fit under. And the advantage of having a tool or a checklist approach to that is to make sure that you do cover off the holistic aspects of the care that you need to um, achieve. And that may be able to be done in one one session or it might be something that actually requires a little bit of a, a tailored approach, particularly if you pick up on a particular type of need. So um, the categories, you know, that would be included in that is, I guess, Paramount is checking kind of, recent or current uh, medical history and involvement with other healthcare services such as, you know, GP providers, you know, typically sometimes people might present to their GP for some other um, health-related reason and may not feel comfortable to disclose their HIV status and then you're kind of travelling along two parallel streams of healthcare that should really um, align in some way. So we check that. We um, talk about um, diets and exercise. Smoking status is a really important one. We um, ask lots of questions around, um, you know, alcohol consumption and, and drug use. Um, that usually leads into conversation about mental well-being and any current or past mental health concerns. Um, you know, sometimes you might also talk about um, their social situation, where you might look at housing and finances as well, because all of those components, I guess. Um, contribute to that fourth 90 that we now look for, which is the quality of life of people living with HIV. We also do um, checks at certain age categories to see if people have accessed um, certain cancer screening um, processes, so things like cervical cancer, um, anal cancer, breast cancer, that kind of thing, and um, we can facilitate. Well, we might not necessarily do the, the certain tests here, but we help the pathways for people to access those. The assessment tool um, that we developed to make sure that we can um, achieve all of the outcomes that we're looking for in a comorbidities assessment was um, originally conceptualised by a group of um, people, um, a group of experts to um, finesse the questions and make sure that we had uh, all the relevant aspects of care included. So at Sydney Sexual Health Centre, we partnered with... Um, Uh, medical and nursing advisor, the RPA sexual health service. We also involved um, allied health and um, a representative from Positive Life to give a community perspective on the development of the tool as well. Mm -hmm. And now that the tool is established, we've shared that with other sexual health services across New South Wales and most services will have made some local adaptations to suit their client population and needs, and specific referral pathways that they have available to them.
0: All right, fantastic. So could you talk me more through the nurses' role and the comorbidity service?
1: Sure. So nurses have been involved in HIV care, at Sydney Sexual Health more broadly uh, for many years. And um, in the past, um, we have, I guess, contributed to... Um, the HIV care by lots of the pathology tests and and um, some some comorbidities questions and then the patients would represent to see the doctor for their prescriptions. But um, over the years, we've managed to streamline this to avoid multiple presentations to the service. Um, but perhaps Rick will talk to this more at the moment. But we know that what happened was some of the um, questions that you might ask about general lifestyle have dropped off over time. So Recognising this need, um, we have developed, I guess, alongside the assessment tool that I've already mentioned, we've developed a competency for practice for nurses to be involved in um, HIV care with an enhanced of practice and um, demonstrating ability to be able to safely conduct those screening assessments and manage the outcomes and referral pathways. So the nurses um, will see patients in their entirety and then liaise with the multidisciplinary team. So uh, Usually within that appointment we would need to talk to a doctor to at least get the prescription, but then we will liaise with the um, medical practitioners once we have some of the screening parameters back and the blood test results to develop a package of care. And the nurses really enjoy working in that space because um, I guess traditionally we um, have always been able to form quite good relationships with our patients and had a bit more time perhaps to dedicate to asking those questions. But this standard of care where someone, any person living with HIV over 40 year attends tensile service can expect to see um, a clinician at a time that suits them. That may be a nurse or may be a doctor. Um, but the nurse's role, uh, regardless of the clinician they see, can really assist in some of the follow up care. And one of the, um, I guess, exciting things that we have, I think, um, that we will tailor a bit more in the future is where the role of the nurse can assist in the partnership with the primary care providers and the GPs, and um, particularly in our setting at City Sexual Health, helping people to navigate finding GPs uh, from the outset. And
0: uh, so, so how does? Uh Sydney Sexual Health Centre work with GPs to provide this holistic care for people living with HIV?
2: Yeah, it's a a good question, Tom. I think um, for specialist services, uh, again, not unique to sexual health services, uh, integrated care is something that uh, health systems have been trying to grapple with for many, many years. And it's not been incredibly successful, that process. We know that primary care is a very important uh, area for our patients to Um, engage with because they provide um, specialist preventative services and interventions that we just can't provide in a specialist service. Mm. So um, we've, in all our public health strategies, primary care is seen as a a key site to partner with. Uh, I don't think, to be honest, that sexual health services have been really successful in doing that. We're really keen to promote that idea now about uh, engagement with primary care. Um, so what we've now been doing is really having a number of focus groups with uh, Central Eastern Sydney PHM, and um, trying to identify really that fundamental question that patients often ask us on the front line, where is who is our who's a GP, who should I see if you're recommending we see a GP so we try to define that we're trying to identify a number of local GP practices who we have a relationship with who may have done specific training in, uh, or various, various online courses um, or who are just familiar with our population groups and are comfortable in seeing patients not really for more complicated HIV management but really for general GP work that um, we can then communicate with them about.
0: And have there been examples of um, any patients who see a regular GP uh, where that has worked well?
2: Yeah, I, th- I mean we. Uh, I mean the large, and it's not to say the large number of patients don't already have GPs. I think what has been lacking is perhaps communication from both sides. So I think uh, sometimes specialist units um, don't uh, write letters to, to GPs or pick up the phone and just give them a quick update about what's been happening at our service. And likewise, I think. Um, when um, one of our patients is seeing a GP, it's also really useful to get that um, just quick update from their perspective on what's been happening. Uh, and we certainly want to ensure that GPs remain the central coordinator of healthcare, and we're one part of that. Um, and so, that communication
1: aspect I think is critical to the success of this project. I think um, from a patient perspective, there's a continued uh, conversation that needs to be had around confidentiality mm-hmm. and um, disclosure or supporting the sharing of information between one health service to another. And whilst that might seem uh, a natural thing for, um, you know, a doctor at one service to do with a doctor at another service, be it not forgetting that the patient is in the middle of that and at the heart of that. And so um, another um, approach that I think is is a slow burn but improving is that we work with people even from the point of diagnosis or, or thereafter when they um, are registered at Sydney sexual health to talk to them about that even if they're not at the age of requiring any particular comorbidity screening that we are actually starting to have those conversations early on now mm-hmm. um, and when the time arises or the need is there that they we would need to link in with GP services that we're building some of the confidence in the health systems that um, their information will remain used for the purpose of Intended, which is their their care,
0: and how successful has the clinic been? Has have there been many people accessing it?
1: Well, like every uh, new um, change to a service, there have been. It's been a bit of a journey to completely embed it in practice, and that has been impacted by other external factors that have affected the clinic. Um, however, we do feel now that we have all of the right aspects um, embedded in the way that we deliver care, and we have had. Certainly patients that I've worked with have certainly um, enjoyed having a bit more time with the clinicians. So we think hearing what the doctors and nurses were saying about the time requirements needed to um, dedicate to this type of uh, an appointment um, has meant that we would have greater um, completion of the tool itself.
0: some of the comorbidities that you've uh, identified through the clinic?
2: Yeah, certainly um, what we have seen over the last year or so is um, a number of cases of, uh, unfortunately, of anal cancer, which is uh, a cancer which is quite prevalent amongst our population groups. In the general population, anal cancer is a very rare cancer, but there's uh, approximately 60 to 100 times increased risk of anal cancer amongst people living with HIV. Uh, and I think over the last uh, couple of years, we've seen three or four cases of anal cancer within the service. Uh, when it's identified early, then it can be treated and managed relatively easily without more intensive treatments like radiotherapy um, or chemotherapy. So that has been something that we have identified and it's raised awareness of anal cancer amongst our uh, population, but also amongst clinicians, um, where we now talk about symptoms related to anal cancer um, and also doing dare, which is a digital anal rectal exam, which literally just takes 60 seconds to perform, but can easily identify an anal lump, which would then be referral to a surgeon. Uh, for removal. Um, apart from that, I think our patient groups we know have high rates of mental health disease, depression, anxiety, um, and we're recognizing that and referring to our colleagues, our counselling colleagues, um, and also to primary care for our more mental health care plans. Uh, other things that have been identified in, a, in the comorbidity clinic include people who have maybe got mm-hmm. um, not quite diabetes but are at risk of diabetes. Um, and by that greater focus on looking at um, what their results are in the context of comorbidities, we've been able to refer to GPs to have a formal diagnosis and more uh, interventions about their lifestyle.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think we've also um, been able to work with some people around you know, reducing alcohol uh, and smoking rates. Um, and sometimes that just starts with some motivational interviewing questions to find out where people are at in terms of wanting to quit. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people have thought about it and not taken the next step, and I think that that is a really uh, uh, great conversation to have rather than do you smoke yes how many blah and then nothing else happens thereafter so we're really trying to do some work on um, you know motivating people to think about what the next step might be for reducing that by explaining some of the increased risks that people living in the HIV can face and so we've made some simple referrals to, to um, support services to help people reduce those aspects of care and that speaks to what I was talking about before about that continuity that's not one, appointment, one question at one appointment that's shouldn't then be repeated. Um, so I think that we, with that, having this is slight extra time means that we can pick up on the thread that was um, left off at the end of the last consultation or to provide people with phone support. And um, I guess the future, well, now that we're getting this practice more embedded, we'll be trying to do that. If there's ways that we can do that that might be um, more successful or... or um, that clients might find uh, a a different way that we can ask questions so involving consumers continuously in the way that we approach this um, to achieve better outcomes would be fantastic.
2: Yeah and also just a highlight for for any GPs listening that we do want to work with you and partner with you to improve patient care. um, I think it's an Important to recognise that what we're doing is based on the GP Red Book and the preventative questioning and measures taken by Australian GPs. Um, we're not wanting to replace GPs, we're just wanting to actually identify problems in our patients uh, at an early stage and then work with the patient and the GP uh, and to hopefully provide more holistic care. <laughs>
0: So I guess with uh, COVID nineteen at the moment, there's a there's a lot of changes to the way that people access healthcare or across the healthcare system. Uh, what do you think are some of the future uh, innovations and challenges in this space?
2: Well, I think um, with COVID, obviously, we many services moved to a telehealth model. Telehealth meaning is that a telephone call, is it a video call, is it with one specialist, is it with partnership with another health professional. Uh, in our setting, we were quite successful in, in moving to that model of telehealth um, though I think we're all recognising that it doesn't um, beat sort of face-to-face consult but it does provide additional benefits for usability um, for, the, for the patient to access the service. So going forward, I think um, in my discussions with, with primary care probably they stay We've looked at perhaps options for handovers, clinical handovers, where maybe to navigate that challenge where patients feel uh, reluctant to engage with a new doctor and talk about their, um, all their medical history and pertaining to HIV once again to a new health professional. Um, So one of the options may be to provide telehealth with um a specialist nurse or doctor from the clinic with the patient and with the gp to provide a handover and um, so that um it's really a good example of patient-centered care where we can talk about what are the, the
1: aims for that patient um going forward um i think there may be uh actions we can take to further progress the way that we're um, approaching these types of appointments and uh, we know we've had great success in mm-hmm. sexual health and other services uh, where they've used you know computer-assisted self-interviews to um, allow for more time in consult with the clinician but also it's, it's been very popular with clients um, perhaps having some time to answer questions in, in, in a private space uh, might allow for some additional I guess um, thought to the to the type of questions that you're being asked and I think there is some evidence to show that you often get um, perhaps more honest answers if you're not under the microscope with the clinician asking you how many cigarettes you smoke, for example. And so I wonder um, if there may be options in the future where some partial uh, history can be uh, completed by the client before they attend their appointment and um, I guess maintaining a focus on what, that person sees as their needs so some options to be able to say what well, you'd like to talk about today as a focus i think and um, that's the way healthcare is moving to ensure that um we're not just addressing what we think is the need of the person who's in front of you but actually taking forward what they see as their most important aspect of their care
2: mm. and i think um you know I, th- I would certainly be looking to have um a greater completion of that linkage with primary care through chronic disease management plans. Um, I think that's something that uh, there's greater scope for a special service like ours to, to branch out with a, with a primary care doctor or physician to, to complete those uh, management plans. Um, and that often, of course, speaks to people who can access Medicare Uh, we see a large number of people in populations who do not have access to Medicare um, and traditionally feel very safe and comfortable coming to our clinic. Um, But what what we are recognising through these discussions with the VHN is that there are a number of GPCC, many, many patients who do not have Medicare and use um, student insurance or other insurance methods. And so we're looking to um, navigate that pathway uh, and referral pathway for those
1: patients in particular who traditionally don't um, have Medicare but can still see a GP and perhaps not experience um, significant out-of-pocket uh, expense. We'll continue, of course, to keep working with the community partnership organisations who've helped to guide this process as well and look at their their um, contributions to those navigation pathways, um, mm-hmm. like. positive life and other organisations with those aspects that can can help
0: with that Mm -hmm. yep great and have you used any of like my health record or those sort of systemic uh, approaches that people yeah good
2: question Tom I think one of the, the challenges as we've been looking into this issue of really trying to close the loop of communication Um, which many, many organisations and health systems are trying to navigate is that it's so fragmented and uh, even, you know, how do we actually communicate Um, Is it by phone? I'm talking health professional to health professional. Is it by phone? Is it by email? Is it by secure email?
0: By fax. Yeah, but it seems to still
2: come back to the archaic fax machine, unfortunately. And and, um, what I'm hearing from my colleagues in primary care is that they want to use other media. So sometimes um, Facebook pages, WhatsApp groups, um, unfortunately, there, are, there is specific legislation relating to these types of communications which you would have to navigate for that. Um, so I think trying to, to find um, a quick, easy solution is something we're really keen to provide and whether it's direct access to specialist nurses or specialist doctors from primary care to specialist
0: service is something we're hopeful to create. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today.
2: Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity to discuss this project. Um, we're really keen to, to partner with um, our primary care colleagues and
1: the community. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tom. It's been um, really exciting to have this conversation and put out there a bit more about what we do, so that um, patients and other care providers uh, understand what we can provide here and partner with them and care for patients in the most.
0: You've been listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we've been discussing our new comorbidity screening clinic. To keep up to date with the latest information in sexual health, you can follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. The links are in the description. And if you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.